This is the Sunday Spin on 720 WGN. Once again, here's Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune. Welcome back to your Sunday Spin. I'm Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune here in the WGN Skyline studio. And joining me on the phone is Mark Maxwell. Mark is the Statehouse correspondent for the Next Star TV stations here in Illinois, including WCIA TV in Champaign and, yes, Chicago's very own WGN TV. Mark, thanks so much for joining me this evening. Rick, a pleasure to be back with you, and I congrats on the new time slot. I don't know about you, but the coffee's still on for me, even at this late hour. <laughs> I think I could really use some coffee right now because... Uh, uh, this has been this has been such such a year and it and and there's always something there's always something and when you look at what this city has been through what it's going through we're now we're seeing how the suburbs are are getting hit by uh, looting um it just never ends and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really having trouble dealing with it. I mean, it's like I said, when I walked over from the Thompson Center today over to the studio, that was really the first chance I had to see in person uh, the, some of the damage that was caused by the looting here in downtown Chicago. And it, it just literally took my breath away. And... Um, so the, the, the what I was what I was breathing in was sawdust from the the, the guys putting up the boards over the windows. Um, you know, I, I I I've been watching and following this nationally on TV, and one of the things that I really has troubled me a lot was the whole issue of uh, journalists getting caught in the line of fire on these things. Uh, you had the uh, Omar Jimenez, the CNN correspondent, Chicago-based correspondent for CNN, who's uh, he and his crew were arrested on live TV. Uh, um, you had uh, uh, a, a young reporter, female reporter in Louisville, uh, and uh, you had uh, law enforcement shooting uh, rubber pellets at her and her cameraman. Uh, a Minnesota Star, Minneapolis Star Tribune reporter uh, had a, a bullet was shot uh, through his window because he was going through an intersection, even though he had been cleared because he was a member of the media. Uh, I mean, obviously, a lot of people on edge, a lot of tension, but I just kind of wanted your take on all this. Yeah, Rick, it's, it's interesting. I'll say I think a lot of us reporters have covered protests before. But I can say for me, uh, I was in the middle of the downtown protests, uh, some of the demonstration just last night. And tonight uh, we're covering it from Champaign. There's there's a series of uh, looting uh, happening even here. Uh, and some of the protests in the city of Springfield were more peaceful. Um, but it, if you listen to it's just it's 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 a trying time. It's, it's a difficult story to cover because you have the voices of people who, you know, if we Listen to the quote from you know Dr. Martin Luther King, who said the protest is the voice of the unheard. There are a lot of people out there who really do want this outlet, uh, whether it's being you know pent up uh, during these time of the coronavirus closures. There's all there's this extra frustration that's an added layer on top of right, right. Uh, the, the decades and centuries of uh, you know racial injustice that so many of these protesters speak about when they go to the streets. Uh, many of them, in, in the indiscriminate nature of the looting, 
you know, that kind of uh, violence or lawlessness, uh, those actions are endorsed by, you know, next to no one. Right. Um, but it does still seem like there's a way to listen to that sort of, uh, that scream and, and say, well, what is it that they're trying to say? And, 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 you know, there's a way to listen to that still. I, I think that, uh, you know, as a political reporter, I, I don't advocate for any political cause one way or the other. But Correct. the one thing that I think I, I, if I can, Rick, if I can advocate for this, I can say that we do have an outlet for political disagreements. And we saw that last week in session, which is where our elected officials come together and they debate things and they put it all out there. And then they, they agree on some sort of way to move and then they leave and they go do something about it. There, there is a political process that I think maybe people have lost trust in, but if they, you know, put, if there's that renewed sense of saying, let's put this into something, it's that there is a political process that can yield a result. And we've seen that happen in some ways. Well, and that's why, you know, I always advocate for civic engagement and civic education. And it's not, I'm not saying what, you know, what party to join or, or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But but if, if you want to, you know, make a difference, you have to get involved. And obviously that, that starts with voting and uh, voting means things. Uh, voting voting has consequences voting you know they're they're, that's the first thing but um yes there i mean we do have a process Uh, i can understand you know the frustration of many of those uh, nonviolent protesters that you know just wonder if it isn't more lip service over over these decades and and you know yes change does not happen quickly and we know that in springfield uh, if anything uh, but i mean and i think you hit it on the head too that i think the kind of a pent up uh uh, I don't know what the right word is, but just people feeling pent up by the homebound nature of those uh, executive orders from the, the governor. Uh, I mean, it, it almost seems like, in some respects, uh, a perfect storm kind of situation. But there's also the question of where do we go from here? Right. You know, if in in, in the eyes of and, and in the voices of some of these, um, you know, vandals or looters, um, you know, they, they may feel content to blow off some steam. Um, but as we all try to recover from this and recognize and listen, moving forward, there's a real question that I think journalists are going to be on the front lines of understanding, uh, you know, telling the stories of the storefront owner who has to pick up the shambles, not just of the glass shards that now litter the street outside of their storefront, but also, you know, file the insurance claims and then hope, hope that there are enough customers to come back and keep their company alive in the next three months as they try to recover from this coronavirus. It's going to be difficult. And, you know, it's, there, there's just there, there's more reporting to do than ever, um, yeah. and yes. you know it just it, it, it's it seems like we don't have enough cameras uh, or enough enough recorders to, to take it all down and, and share it. But uh, you know that there, there's there's some sort of therapy I think in in listening to each other and understanding where we go from here and you know trying to you know do less harm and do more good. Yeah, and and I think the governor mentioned it today in the press conference. The issue of you know, here here are places that are getting looted that that have been, uh, for the most part, they've been the ones shut down for ten weeks. They're just getting ready to at least start a soft partial reopening. And what's what do they see? But uh, windows shattered and their their stock immediately gone. Um, I, I mean. 
frustration with uh, for for these small business owners these some of these smaller retailers and uh you know we we uh, going into just the pandemic we weren't sure how many of them were going to come back and especially you know you've i'm sure you've talked to sam toya i've talked to sam toya sam toya's talked to everybody but that was always my big fear too was you know with with restaurants and those kinds of things well a number of those uh, got uh, severely damaged uh, in in last night's uh, violence. Um, but uh, you know, I asked uh, Representative Chris Welch if you know it is if we step back from this, is is anything going to change when it comes to issues of inequality uh, being dealt with in Springfield and. Uh, I don't know if you heard his response, but he he actually questioned whether anything anything would change. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's easy to be cynical. I think that's kind of probably one of the main points that many of the, the demonstrators went to the streets to say was that, OK, maybe we do have a political process, but it's not working for us right now. And it's certainly not working fast enough. And that seems to be one of the biggest motivating factors is that there, there's a discontent. There's a frustration at, at the system we have. Um, but. That you know that conversation is going to continue in these next you know few weeks and months. I I also heard your questions uh, to the governor or to the mayor earlier at the press conference today, Rick, and you were asking you know do we know yet who might be uh, behind any of you know organizing uh, some of these these protests? And it you know I think there, there is a history uh, throughout you know, uh, you know our nation for sure of, of some political and this is a cynical thought, but there are some political uh, uh, groups or organizations that see opportunity. Sure. Uh, in a movement that mobilizes like this and that sees the chaos as a chance to sort of press our politics in a certain direction. And who knows, uh, you know, as we learn more about who might be organizing some of these things, what, what that might tell us about what, what's at play on, on the political side of it. Um, but certainly this is, a, th- this is a moment that's going to, uh, you know, ring out in the ears of voters uh, all the way to November. Uh, as this, this is not it just doesn't feel like any other ordinary protest. It feels uh, certainly different. No, it really, and, and that's the thing, is maybe, you know, obviously we're talking in the immediacy of things, and, and maybe, uh, but maybe it's different when you step back, but I'm not I'm not sure. I, I really don't. This is this has really been something else. We're speaking with Mark Maxwell. He's State House Correspondent for the Next Star Stations in Illinois, including WCIA-TV, Channel 3 in Champaign, Chicago's very own Channel 9 WGN. I'm Rick Pearson. This is the Sunday Spin. Seven forty-six on this Sunday evening in Chicago. I'm Rick Pearson. This is your Sunday Spin. And joining me on the phone is Mark Maxwell. He is the State House correspondent for the Next Star Next Star TV stations uh, in Illinois. And uh, Mark, I have a call from uh, Ron, who always has a good question. Ron, thanks for uh, calling the Sunday Spin. Yes. You know, uh, thank you, Rick, uh, and to your guests, you know, uh, to your guests, I've been reading over and over, actually for the last six months, Dr. King's last book, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community. So to me, it seemed like the answer has been answered. We are in total chaos, and, and your guests made reference, you know, to him, but I, I just... You want to ask him, 
where is any kind of optimism? Because all of the things, the conditions that he was addressing in 1968 still exist now. And I, 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 Rick, you know, I usually try to have a good question, but I really just want to make a comment. But I hear people quoting Dr. King, but do they really pitch it to some of the solutions that he talked about? So I just want to ask him, where is it? Because after 1968, and we are still here, total chaos. So that's it. And thanks as always, Rick. This is some some, some very tough time, but thanks for letting me ask that question. Sure, Ron. Thank you very much. Um, you know, and I think Ron does make a point. You know, how far has uh, civil rights really progressed in, in since Dr. King's assassination in '68? Uh, and you know, why why are the why are we fighting the same fights, I guess, is what it comes down to. Uh, and, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, I know, I know it's not necessarily a fair comparison, but it's kind of like the issue of uh, uh, shooting incidents at, at schools and how everybody looks for something to be that catalyst that, that moves something. And, you know, nothing's, nothing's changed much on that, on that score at all. And I mean, so yeah. I mean, the frustration obviously is 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 evident, and uh, yeah, we do have a political process, and you were front row and center to see that in the uh, special pandemic session of the uh, the Illinois legislature, which um, I, and I mentioned this to to Chris Welch earlier that I even though you know I was far away watching it uh, on my laptop, I, I still could kind of sense that there was a, a more of a dedication to purpose of, of getting in, getting the job done, and getting out than what you'd normally find among uh, the, the General Assembly? Well, some of the lawmakers might tell you that that uh, dedication to purpose was uh, due in part to the absence of reporters and lobbyists and the public. They were sort of <laughs> isolated uh, from a lot of the people that would normally uh, bend their ear or ask for a favor or ask for a soundbite, and so they were able to uh, sort of push through or focus on a lot of, you know, three or four months of work in about four days and took a lot of votes. Uh, but, you know, certainly that has its downside. You know, the public input is uh, is certainly a big part of the legislative process. Yeah, and, and that's what I thought was kind of uh, a frustrating situation was how, uh, you know, the access, access to legislators that are deciding policy is, is, is key for the media. We're kind of the representatives of the public asking the representatives that the public elected what what's going on and that seemed to be kind of a a critical element and you know quite frankly that's we've seen that somewhat the case with the the way uh we've been forced to kind of pool these things for the governor's uh press conferences mm-hmm. yeah and i just I, I, ron's question still is sort of lingering with me he was asking about you know where is the progress and you know in listening to uh, a lot of the elected officials, I, I can almost hear their voices in my head now. If, I, if we were to interview them and say, where is the progress? They, they point to some of the things they got done in the last two years uh, in Springfield. I think Dr. King's message toward uh, the end of his years was about uh, more, more of the economic uh, justice and, and the fact that uh, he felt so many uh, people of color were left out of the economic equation in our country. And the, the, the cannabis legislation that got passed promised uh, a, a new day in that chapter. Now, those promises haven't all quite come in yet. 
Um, but you know, Springfield has done some work to try and include uh, more avenues, uh, you know, in, in reducing uh, uh, cr- crimes for some of those things, but also for creating new business opportunities and for uh, new investment. Um, I think our elected officials today would tell you that progress does come, and in moments like this, it's easy to look back and say, uh, you know, it, it's it's dark right now. Um, but there there has been action and effort uh, to try and address some of these things. And uh, I, I don't know. I guess Ron asked a really good question, and it kind of kind of stuck with me there. But um, yeah, no, and and you know, and I, certainly, you know, certainly on the criminal justice front, uh, we're seeing a whole different era. And and one of the things I always cite about that, though, is that's kind of a, a convergence of two different ideologies, often ideologies of, you know, uh, social justice advocates and, and, and Democrats on one side and conservative Republicans who are just kind of, why, why are we paying for these costs? Why are we paying that heavy cost for incarceration uh, when for people that that don't necessarily need to be incarcerated? Um, I mean, it's kind of a meeting of the minds there that that has actually helped fuel a lot of progress on that front. But it, it seems that some some of the issues that are are being are, you know forefront right now are, are less about legislative, I guess, and more about just the the pursuit of justice. The, the prosecutor, the police officer, the citizen; those interactions happen you know outside of any committee hall or outside of any kind of legislative body. I mean, these are the, where government meets the individual directly, and and that conversation. Um, certainly, I, I think it's been uh, interesting to listen to uh, some police who step up and say they were sickened by uh, what they saw in Minnesota. And, uh, you know, you, you wonder how this moment uh, changes their, you know, their psyche or their practice or, or what kind of uh, behavior uh, might be altered uh, moving forward. But I, th- this does feel like a moment where, uh, you know, it's, it's not easily uh, forgettable. No, and, and you know, the, the issue is... Uh, Still, I mean, and, and as I mentioned to, to Representative Welch, you know, you could talk about different forms of training, efforts to try to always get trust with your community. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if a bad cop is a bad cop, it's not training isn't going to matter. And, and when, yeah, I, sure, go ahead. Isn't that where uh, you know a good police chief comes in and talks about leadership and culture and where where you know do we believe that a, a, a community of police officers can police themselves? Do we believe that there's a way to you know change that culture from the inside out? I mean that's always been the question of government too is is this whole uh, experiment of, of self governance? Can we set up rules and practices that uh, change the arc of our own you know behavior as a community together? Uh, that that is incumbent on on police uh, together in in their uh, departments across the state across the country to uh, improve uh, the way they you know interact with with uh, citizens. I think that that's that's kind of the whole goal. I don't know if there's what the, what legislative fix there might be, but a, a leadership fix certainly could. Uh, I think is part is going to be a part of the discussion increasingly from our elected officials. And uh, yeah, and quite a welcome to uh, Chicago's new police superintendent too. Uh, I mean, what a what a way to really kind of get a get a head start on the job. Um, you know, I, I was going back to Springfield, and and I was actually surprised. Uh, and again, you were kind of more boots on the a lot more boots on the ground than I was. I was actually kind of surprised that uh, the city. Uh, casino legislation got through as easily as it did just knowing the history of 
gaming legislation in Springfield and watching it kind of uh, tip and fall over as everybody attaches something on a uh, attaches a new ornament to the branches. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, House Democrat Mike Zaleski was talking to me about this, too. He, he's been big on gaming, and he, he actually made the comment to me in a phone call earlier this week. He didn't think it would have been done if it wasn't in that isolated situation where lawmakers weren't being bothered. He thought that, <laughs> uh, that that was one of the reasons why if there were more. I mean, imagine the pressure from an army of lobbyists who wanted to come down sure. and you know sink their teeth into this thing. But one of the other reasons why this bill may have passed is because 98% of the heaviest lifting really already got done in the last gaming bill. So they were really on the two-yard line with the Chicago casino. They just had to figure out how to split up the tax rates. There wasn't really a massive expansion no. of gaming in the state in this bill that was done last session. So the, the argument was already made that the capital infrastructure bill that's going to you know, rebuild Illinois and Governor Pritzker's plan uh, is going to be funded in, in no small part by many of the revenues and taxes collected at the Chicago casino. So they had already started putting shovels in the ground. Now they said, look, we got to pay for it. Well, so, you know, there, there was some support uh, from Republicans because of that reason. They wanted to see projects in their districts funded. No, it's, it's, that's actually a very good point is because of the antiseptic nature of the of the of the legislature uh, that 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 it couldn't get necessarily too uh, overweight and fall down on its own weight uh i hadn't i hadn't thought of that but that's uh that's a very good point because we all like i said we've all seen uh, these things crash and burn before um i was curious about uh the, the issue of remote voting and how that uh that fell down in the house and i was actually kind of surprised over uh, some of the the criticism given you know we're dealing with a virus that nobody still knows that much about um, and health and safety concerns uh, versus the you know some lawmakers who said well they met when in the, when there was the Spanish uh, flu in, in, in 1918 mm-hmm. uh, but you know my comeback is well we didn't have zoom uh, we didn't have, we didn't have the internet uh i'm 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 sure you know they could have maybe done telegraph at that point but still i mean things things are a lot different then and I, I think we're more health conscious too yeah there's an argument to be made both ways i mean you do have the benefit of technology but i think that uh, even you and i would have a, a more personal conversation in person and uh, the way i look at it was if they voted on that remote remote voting bill on day one, when they first got to Springfield, I think it probably passes. But over the course of those three and then the fourth day, when they had that overtime day, lawmakers themselves remembered, oh, yeah, we can get along more talking face-to-face. Senator Dale Ryder, a Republican from Mattoon, who's retiring after, I think, 23 years in the legislature, told me that to be an effective lawmaker from downstate and, and represent my views to elected officials in Chicago, I have to sometimes get in their face. And so I wear a mask so I can be around them. And, you know, I, he said he wasn't tested and all that, but he wanted, wanted to show that respect and say, look, I know we've got the coronavirus out here, but I still have to make my point in person. And there, there are those legislative, you know, uh, tools that lawmakers use to persuade and, and all that. And some of those abilities are limited over Zoom or over the phone. And so uh, over time, over those three or four days, you saw lawmakers remember, you know what, a lot of this work really is done better in person. And I think you saw that sort of, uh, opinion shift o- over the course of their four days in Springfield. Yeah, I, I mean, I can, I, I, I do agree too that that would, I thought that would be like a first day kind of no brainer uh, type of situation. But uh, um, just a, 
an, an interesting session. I just hope we can move uh, legis- the legislative process back to, quote, normal sometime soon, hopefully for the November veto session. Mark Maxwell, state host correspondent for the Next Star stations, including WCIA TV Channel 3 in Champaign, WGN TV. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Rick, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me.